overture, I know we're kind of flying. Mm -hmm. At what point do we actually get to sit? Will we ever be singing and flying at the same time? No? Both your feet. Yeah, when, when you fly, you're not singing, and then eventually it goes like this, and this is where you sing, and then uh, it flips down and you're still standing, and as it goes down, you kind of melt into, into that position. That's a clip from Wagner's Dream, a documentary film about the Metropolitan Opera's current production of Wagner's Ring Cycle. With a 45-ton mechanized set, it frequently tested the physical limits of its producers and cast. This is Conducting Business, WQXR's show about the classical music industry. I'm Naomi Lewin. Once upon a time, opera singers were expected to just park and bark, as the old-fashioned stand-and-sing style of performing is referred to in the business. But that is a thing of the past. Singers now not only have to look like their characters, they also have to bound across raised platforms, fly through the air, and take on graphic fight scenes. With this growing emphasis on realism, what physical skills does an opera singer need to make it today? Is opera becoming maybe too dangerous? Joining us to give their views are Anne Majette, classical music critic of The Washington Post, Laura Lee Everett, the Artistic Services Director at Opera America, which is a service organization representing the opera houses in the United States, and Dale Gerard, Director of Stage Combat Studies at the North Carolina School of the Arts. Dale is also a working stuntman. And I'm going to start with you. In this age of heightened theatricality, is the singer's job getting more physical and more dangerous? Well, I think the dangerous part of opera always has to do with the sets and the stuff backstage. And there's always been an element of danger to that. If you think back to the beginning of opera, you had candles lighting the stage, opera houses burned down. You had heavy sandbags holding up sets that would come plummeting down. Um, you still have people injured by pieces of falling sets and sceneries. Um, I think that that has been fairly consistent. Where you hear protest is when some wacky staging forces singers to do things that aren't quite safe, often because the director may may not have completely thought through what the ramifications are of a visual idea that is now realizable thanks to computer technology. Um, and I think you probably see more dangerous stagings, arguably, over the last 20 years. I wouldn't say it's more in the last five years. I think this has been constant since even the 1980s. Um, as soon as you get a lot of hydraulic sets that move, you get the risk of people getting legs caught in them or sets not being in place or people getting stuck up on top of sets. And I've heard stories about all of that going back to the beginning of my career as a critic in the 80s. Laura is nodding vigorously. Laura, you have worked in productions and stage management in major opera houses around the country. Anne is talking about the arc of my career before I really moved into sort of more administrative, administrative. I was a production stage manager starting in the 80s. And I think she's absolutely right in terms of the timeline as we started to see more and more effects get used. The theater is a dangerous place. Going back in history, you know, not just candles and sandbags, you know, there's many myths about good luck and bad luck, and they tell you not to whistle in the theater. That grew out of real danger because they used to have sailors who ran all of the ropes for the flying scenery, and they signaled to each other by whistling for cues to bring scenery in. That's why you don't whistle in the theater. It's just as dangerous today. Uh, you know, it is it is a place where there's dim light. There's a giant open hole on the front edge of the stage. I've had many friends 
either singers, performers, or directors who've backed into and fallen in the pit, whether there were players in it or not. Um, people who have had to deal with, you know, standing against a piece of scenery moving across the stage to protect 40 small children in Hansel and Gretel from being run over by it because they couldn't see it from where they were. It is increasingly dangerous with some of the effects, I think, that are being employed. And we have great folks like good stage managers, people like Dale, where shows are required to have a fight choreographer who comes in and does stage-safe training so that people are more likely to not injure themselves. But some of the onus is on the singers in their training coming into this, more so, I think, than it even was in the past. They're going to be asked to do things physically, and they need to be aware of how to do things on stage so they don't hurt themselves. Well, Dale, I want to ask you, operas have always had fights and things, as Laura just mentioned, with HD broadcasts involving cameras with close-ups now, are we seeing those fights becoming more realistic and more dangerous? the opera community in general is working to try and bring in the newer, younger audiences to get them interested in the medium and not just the musicality, but the whole theatricality of it. So they are designing productions that try and compete with the film industry in the sense of expectation of action, movement, and storytelling. And in that sense, the fights on the operatic stage are becoming more and more dynamic to match the scope of the music and the expectations of newer, younger audiences. So that is where some of the challenges are in the sense of trying to get singers to actually go through that expectation but still be able to sing at the end of the fight, not be out of breath, not be strained. I mean, more often than not, actually the first possible accident or injury in a fight on stage is vocal fatigue or vocal fry through vocal tension through physical activity. And that's one of the first things to address. Uh, Add to that the scenic design and all the other things that are being put into it, because I think a lot of scenic designers and uh, stage directors aren't taking into account that the artist also has to watch the baton. They have to see the maestro. Uh, (laughs) An actor in a stage play on a similar set doesn't have that split focus, Mm -hmm. whereas in the operatic stage, there is a split focus to actually stay with the baton. I mean, that's one of the really big challenges there. So, Dale, what are the biggest physical challenges that opera singers have to face Besides the vocal fatigue, what with fist fights and sword fights and all of that? The biggest challenge, actually, is that most singers, even the ones who are incredibly physically fit, the body, the way it moves, the weapon or sword fight, it exhausts the body in a very different way because the muscles aren't used to moving in that way. So if you're a runner and you've got a good cardiovascular system and everything else is going and you're in shape... Once you're handed a new prop that moves in a different way, that tires muscles, um, that's going to actually affect the whole sense of movement. If they get tired, the first muscles that start to go are the vocal instrument, but also it starts to affect breath. It starts to affect physicality. The movement slows down. So if they try and push through it, it's where we start to see the potential of accident or injury. In fact, last year, baritone Mariusz Kwiecin injured his back while he was rehearsing a Mm -hmm. sword fight Mm -hmm. for Don Giovanni at the Met, and that forced him to cancel some of his performances, and he had to have back surgery. Anne, did you write about that? Um, I did not, but I would point out that a sword fight injury is the kind of thing that could have happened 100 years ago on the opera stage. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) The uh, the one injury I know of in in an onstage store fight was um, Elena Zaremba in a Munich Carmen years ago. Don Jose's knife didn't retract when he stabbed her, Mm -hmm. and um, it actually cut her in the arm fairly seriously. (laughs) 
Yeah, they wondered they, why she didn't come out for the bow, and it took her a little while, and she had a bandage over her arm. Carmen is a dangerous, dangerous piece. I've had more <laughs> singers injure themselves, and they have been injuries that frequently did not involve the weapon or the fighting moment in the show. Um, people who have... I had a Carmen who was dancing in the gypsy dance in the second act on the table and finished the dance and then went to jump down off the table, and when she put her hand down on the table, landed on her wrist in a way that she broke it. And the <laughs> nightmare of that is that Carmen doesn't come off stage for any of the second act. And we could tell that she didn't feel well, that she was nursing it, that was something was wrong. I had to actually ask another character, the Zuniga, to go out who goes on and off stage in that act and find out what was wrong with her and tell us if we needed to stop. And actually, that was one of the first times, you know, you always hear the, is there a doctor in the house because somebody's having a cardio problem? We had to make that announcement at intermission to see if there was someone who could actually come and look at it. And, you know, the fact that she had broken her wrist and we had to cut the sleeve of her fourth act dress so that it could go over the cast they put her in that was an air cast because she refused to not finish the show. But, you know, dancing or I've, I've had singers that have gotten injured where they've simply been, you know, we, we see those passionate embraces or somebody's angry where the Jose grabs the Carmen and shakes her while they're in the throes of that fight at the end before they get to the actual stabbing. I've had singers get injured in those situations where they've actually shaken a shoulder out of alignment. Shaken Carmen syndrome. Yes. Yeah. Well, yeah. I had some. I had a chrysotomist in Electra that at a scene when she's begging Electra to come back into the house, and they shook each other, and the chrysotomist's shoulder got popped out of alignment. They're athletes on stage, and they physically have to be tuned in every direction possible. And if they're not in the fittest place they can be, that's where injury happens. Well, it's a larger-than-life art, and so mm -hmm. it inspires people to sort of larger-than-life gestures, but you're still tied to the limits of your body, and you can get so carried away in the moment that you forget. Yep. And speaking of larger-than-life, we've all heard the expression, it's not over until the fat lady sings. Opera singers not necessarily known, all of them, for being in the best possible shape. Dale, what techniques do you teach singers to help them avoid injury? Well, the big thing is, is looking at the physicality of each individual artist, because uh, there are those who are in shape but don't have a movement spectrum. They, they can be actually physically held or tense. Um, and those who are actually not uh, in shape but actually move in a very fluid and released way. So when you're staging a fight for opera or even for stage, it's what can this artist do repeatedly safely? And it's really taking into account that individual. I've had artists who actually are in great shape but have had their shoulder dislocated several times. And so you need to take that into account when you're staging the fight so they don't run the risk of having it go out again. And we even had that problem at the Met in Romeo and Juliet. Our uh, Tibalt in one production, uh, between fight moves, did an overzealous action in the Tibalt mercutio fight and actually threw his own shoulder out of his socket mm. and walked off stage after the fight while Romeo was singing, told the stage manager to have an ambulance standing by, came back on, did the Romeo Tybalt fight, and then left. Because That's it was an, a pro. an injury that he knows about, and he just said, I know what the problem is, I knew this could happen, but in a moment of adrenaline, he actually threw his own shoulder out of the socket. So it can happen even, I think, as, as the others are saying, it doesn't have to be fight-related. It's the activity, the scope and energy of the operatic medium that can push people to go beyond what their bodies can do. And a fight director and a director in opera really needs to make sure you work within what the artist can do for the run of the show, not just once, but for the run of the show, so they're really safe and they can repeat that role rather than just trying to survive it. 
Laura Lee, does being willing to try more stunts and things like that make you more marketable as a singer today? I would say that there are so many things that go into the consideration. And and for the better part of the last 20 years, not just at the advent of the HD broadcast, although certainly that's put a sharper focus and an eye on it, the trend in opera has been to find the singers that have the right voice. It always comes down to you've got to be able to sing the role. But that have the right voice, that look the part. You know, the the trend to see someone who is clearly not starving sing Mimi has been a challenge over the years. Uh, because sometimes those body shapes are what it's required to make that sound. But we are seeing more and more singers who are very well fit, who look great on stage, who have the voice. And if they've got training background and have had experience doing some of those physical things. It certainly helps them in that environment. I don't know that necessarily makes them more marketable, but we're starting to see more casting choices that go in that direction of if you can do these things. You know, it used to be anecdotal. I would tell young singers, well, you know, if you're able to do tumbling or gymnastics, put it on your resume. People want to know that. They also want to know if you can play the piano and tap dance. Um, but I think <laughs> A lot now, of tap dancing in opera? You'd be surprised um, <laughs> where that comes into play. But, you know, in, in the same way, I think singers also have to understand that they're going to be asked to do more and more things and they have to learn where their limitations are so as not to endanger themselves or the production, frankly. Moving on from the fights to the sets mm. and do sets like the one in the Robert Lepage production present challenging environments for singers today that older sets in days of yore did not? I think the challenges are different, but I certainly have seen the advent of hydraulic sets create new dangers simply because the people designing them are so excited by the possibilities that they forget that the chorus is more than little figures on the maquette, which I think was a big problem with the Lepage ring, that the set became the work of art in a set essence, and the singers were sort of auxiliaries to the concept. And this led to some really dangerous situations. There's one scene in that documentary you played the clip from where the um, Rhine maidens are up suspended in midair and they're all saying, I'm scared, I'm scared. And beneath them, a row of men is standing kind of laughing at them. <laughs> I found this horrifying. <laughs> but I can remember back in the 80s and 90s in Munich again, I remember one horrifying accident where the whole chorus had to run forward with sunglasses into bright light as a hydraulic floor was coming up to meet them. And they had to jump onto the level, which was slightly below the level of the stage they were on. And the guy in front jumped and the hydraulic wasn't in place. And he fell 12 feet and landed on his coccyx. And he was in the hospital for a long time. And, you know, it was human error. Obviously, nobody wanted that to happen. But it was the kind of situation that can come when you're a little bit too focused on the hydraulic aspect and a little bit not focused enough on the safety aspect. Dale, how much do you when you stage something, do you get to work with singers on the actual set as opposed to just in the rehearsal room? And what it really depends on the production. Um, like the Romeo and Juliet at the Met, they actually had the set set up in the rehearsal room, so we had time on that before it moved to the stage. Uh, where a lot of regional houses, they're getting a set from another company, so you may be getting the Tosca set from New Orleans, or you may be getting the Romeo and Juliet set uh, from San Diego, uh, and so, basically, you get a couple hours on the set for a fight. And if you're doing a Romeo and Juliet, the set can actually play a large part of the physical action. 
Um, and the same thing is just, you know, I've done uh, productions, I think the New Orleans set of Macbeth has a bridge up center, and I've used it a couple times with no railings either side, and the directors love to put the sword fight there um, mm. on this elevated platform, which is basically a bridge. And these are trained opera singers. These are not mm-hmm. trained... Yeah, these are not stunt performers at all. Now, in, in a production like that, uh, I have done a couple productions of Macbeth where we've doubled the Macbeth for uh, an opening battle sequence where he doesn't have to do the fight, but the big fight between Macduff going into the death aria, it's got to be him. And so there's a lot of demands to it. And they're often put in positions that dynamically look brilliant, but the calculated risk is increased as you're put in certain situations. And sometimes it's the unpopular choice to say, that's unsafe, we can't do that, because the directors at times really want that picture. And it's a brilliant picture, but it's not a position to put the artist in to make sure that they are safe. And who wins those fights, usually? The fight with the director. (laughs) Well, I've I've done productions where I've actually had to put writers in my contract that I've said this, it's gone in the production report, and I say this is unsafe. Yeah, And they still go ahead with it. And I've done others where... I've won out, and we've come up with an alternate. And, and really, if the audience doesn't know that argument took place, and you come up with something that is dynamic and tells the story and matches the scope of the music, they're not going to miss that it was you know, a fight up center on an elevated platform. That was putting your singers at risk. Yeah. 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 And, and I mean, I think ultimately the answer to who wins that fight is you know, what's in the union contract. Mm-hmm. Um, so many of the houses in this country require that if you're doing a piece that has stage combat, you must hire someone like Dale, who is actually a member of, I call it the Swashbucklers Union, Dale. It has the <laughs> longest acronym in the world. What is it? It's actually safety. Uh, I think safety. The Society of American Fight Directors. Okay, there we and, go. Yeah, and not all fight directors in the professional community are part of that guild. Right. But uh, the SAFD is the largest body, uh, actually in the world, of qualified and certified fight directors and choreographers. If you have an AGMA chorus and, and soloists on stage, and you have a collective bargaining agreement with them, one of the clauses in it is that if there is stage combat, you are required to have a member of safety as your fight choreographer on contract mm-hmm. for that show, and that they will guarantee the safety. And if you choose to ignore what the, they have said, it's on you at the company need to be liable for all of it. Correct. And what about when you have singers? Do you ever have singers who say, no, I won't do that? Because I remember there were some of the singers in the Wagner's Dream movie, the looks on their faces like, I'm going to be doing this. And clearly they all did it, or at least they did some of it from what we saw. But what happens if a singer says, no, I don't want to do that? Well, I mean, that is the, I think the job of the fight directors. If if the singer's not comfortable with it, change it. Yep. But I do have certain instances where I've done productions where a, a particular artist has been allowed in the past to not do a fight call, which is warming up the fight prior to a production. And why a singer who knows they need to vocally warm up before a production will say, yeah, I'm not going to do that. And they've been allowed to, because of their status, not have to show up for a fight call, and then accidents transpire. So it's one of those, you can actually make these demands, and as in everything else, if the company allows something to change based on placating to a singer, it does allow for the potential of accident or injury. (laughs) I think one of the things that Wagner's dream, that the film Mm -hmm. illuminated, was the way that the director 
I'm a great advocate of many stage directors as artists, but in that particular case, the director was seen as the big artist. And even the Brunhilde was extremely Deborah subservient. Yeah. Deborah yeah. Void, who's a big star, was very subservient to his vision. Even the scene of her meeting him for the first time, she was brought over to him and sort of, hi, I'm Debbie. And he's like, oh, it's so nice to meet you. So Peter wants to introduce you to a party. I feel like I'm meeting the future father of my child. He is. You know, kind of, many, many things. Hello. To her, and yes. I think that that attitude was reflected very much in that particular staging where Deborah Voigt did slip and fall off the set on opening night of the Valkyrie, and um, which is and in the movie, which it, was shown, in which the is movie. yeah, absolutely. And there were cases. I mean, of course, the Rainbow Bridge didn't work in the Rheingold on opening night, and um, people felt unsafe and it wasn't necessarily responded to. In the movie, the attitude is sort of like, oh, these poor singers don't share this vision. And I think that's unfortunate. I think it needs to be a collaboration because the singers are really what's going to sell your production if you're a smart director. We should make clear that nobody actually got hurt. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Deborah no. quite fell on and slipped and fell and made a joke out of it mm-hmm. and, and went right on and sang the entire opera after that. But singers should not have to be quite that uncomfortable. I don't see exactly what vision it serves to have singers be that uncomfortable on opening night of a major work that needs a lot of singing. And a lot of focus. And your focus, yes. the, minute, the minute you add more layers onto what a singer has to focus on uh, in terms of watching the conductor, dealing with breathing in their costume, having a different feel completely when there's an audience in the house than they have had for rehearsing for all of this time, and all of their physical action and interaction with people on stage. It's live performance. Something could change. Someone could miss something. Someone could step through your hem. There are a million different things, you know, that could go completely differently than whatever you've rehearsed, and adding the anxiety of... I don't know if I can actually do this thing physically that even though I've practiced it, but I've failed at least once while I was practicing it, it adds to the nerves. And we all know the first thing that that does is it starts to affect your breathing. And physically that manifests itself. It's it's hard. And it, I put the onus on the directors and the artisans who are creating the vision to really be aware of that as they go and craft it. Because we can all think outside the box and think of these grand, fantastic things that, you know, as Dale said, we're mimicking what we're seeing on television and film. But they may not necessarily be physically viable in this medium. And there are some great things that are realized that are very physically viable. I mean, the Fura del Spaus ring production from Valencia mm. was extremely technically ambitious and even more full of smoke and mirrors and ways than the Lepage ring. But I don't know that the I don't know whether or not the singers felt safe. I have no actual anecdotes about that. But it was a, certainly a more assured vocal performance for many people. Dale, have you ever had a singer say, "Oh, I can do more"? You know, let's make this more. Yes. Graphic and and I've actually had singers where I've I've not allowed that. I've, uh, <laughs> some are very excited. I, I had I was doing an Otello uh, at Opera Colorado, and um, one of the artists 
you know, wanted to leap from this platform and do all this stuff. And we tried it a couple times. And he kept landing just on one leg and always landing a little awkward. And in, you know, the note session is like, okay, we're having a problem. I can't have you landing that way because it's pretty much too stretch on one leg. And he said, well, I had a motorcycle accident, and I really can't feel below my knee on the other leg. So I'm favoring. <laughs> like, you're not jumping off a platform. Uh, you know, it's little pieces of information like that are helpful. Uh, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I've, I've had – there are some singers who really want to go that extra mile. But the thing is, if it's just about doing something – I don't think it serves story. It should be that character telling that specific story in a way that we move the whole opera forward and get the audience caught up in the storytelling. I guess a good fight should erupt from the scene work versus interrupt the scene work. I will say, playing devil's advocate a little bit, that I think that one of the reasons this slight even antagonism, or the the reason that you see in Wagner's Ring, the singers being sort of chuckled at as they express their fears, is there's an idea that singers are more conservative or resist vision. And I'm thinking specifically of the Bob Wilson productions, which at the time, many singers felt hampered by, oh my goodness, I can't really sing, I'm restricted in this movement. And I think there's been These, a of course, change being in the way... Productions where people hardly move as opposed to people having to be all over the place. <laughs> exactly. Very constricted in movement, very stylized movement. But there was a lot of vocal um, resistance on the part of a number of singers about how they didn't feel comfortable. I think a lot of people have gotten more and more comfortable with that restrictive movement. And there are certain things where time and habit might accustom people to them a little more if they're not actually dangerous. It's not like they're being suspended 30 feet up in the air. All right. So, Dale, you're the working stuntman. You've (laughs) been set on fire, fallen off buildings, gotten into fistfights. Is there one stunt that you've been asked to do that you've said, okay, I'm never doing that again? I guess it's a yes and no. I had the the privilege and opportunity of doing a live-action stunt sequence uh, for Super Bowl XXIX, where the halftime show, I did a fist fight, got lit on fire, and then did a high fall, all live. And the planning that went into it, I think, was very, very well done. But just the fact that they didn't know when halftime was going to happen, so the prepping for the fire stunt had to happen early just in case, and the chemicals they use to keep you safe reduce your body temperature. So I had paramedics on standby to make sure I didn't go into hypothermia before I got set on fire. So there were so many factors that went into it that everything was prepped. And it went very well, but it was unnerving because everything had to happen when it needed to happen based on the football game. Whereas if you're doing a film or even opera, you know where it's going to happen and when it's going to happen because everything's paced out. And so that one was planned, and yet at the same time, the variables were crazy. So, I mean, I'd love to do something like that again, but at the same time, I'd hate to have to go through that again. <laughs> but, that makes... but the good news was you weren't having to sing Di Quella Pira while you were having to do it. You are correct. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you all for joining us. Well, thank you for having us. Oh, thank, thank you. My pleasure. This has been Conducting Business. Our guests were stage combat coach and stuntman Dale Gerard. Washington Post music critic Anne Majette, and Laura Lee Everett from Opera America. Brian Wise produces this podcast, and Timothy Einenkel was the engineer. You can subscribe to Conducting Business on iTunes. I'm Naomi Lewin. Thanks for listening. <laughs>